Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Marsh Mokhtari, Manhattan Beach, California, founder of Gray Whale Gin. The story, the botanicals, the whale, the journey, and a passion for something he'd never done before. We talk it all right now. Well, let's 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 just start at the top. Gray Whale yeah, Gin. My yeah. side of it is it was Father's Day this year. Maybe I'm late to the party, but Father's Day this year, my wife, my Father's Day gift was your gin, Gray Whale wow. Gin. And what I'm a, a wife he- you have. Yeah, she's a great lady, that's for sure. <laughs> and I love gin. I like all kinds of different gins. My, I was looking, I was taking inventory before I talked to you, looking at my shelf going, I got that one and that one and that one. But I like them. But I have to admit, I opened yours, first sip. It's a botanical, yes, but it's a beautiful botanical in a way so many others are not. I know there's a story about where it came from, how you came up with it, those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, there is. And if you just start me at the beginning, we'll go from there. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, well, I'm thrilled that you got introduced to it that way through your wife, because um, that there's, there's a lot of synergy in, in how this originated. My wife and I um, originally were, were on a camping trip with our kids, and um, we were, gosh, this is only four years ago, back in 2016. And, you know, when, when you're on a, a vacation, you, you kind of have the, this, what I like to call this epiphany moment, because you're not, you're not dealing with your nine to five every day. You're, you're, you're able to think clearly for a, mi- a minute and um, not worried about doing your actual job. So that's when I think innovation tends to happen. So, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs and they, they've all kind of echoed those sentiments, whether it be in the shower or whether mm-hmm. it be on a vacation, you right. have those spark moments where you're just not thinking about that. So for, for us, you know, I worked in the entertainment industry 18 years. So a quick aside for clarification, Marsh was in the entertainment industry. That is a fact. In fact, you've seen him as the host of Extreme Chef on the Food Network, Perilous Journeys on the National Geographic Channel, soap operas like Passions and The Young and the Restless, and most recently, you've seen the Geico commercial where there's the spy secret agent guy on the roof and the helicopter comes out and the guys fight the guy on the roof, the spy guy. He's the spy guy. And his mom calls him, honey. Yeah, that's Marsh Mokhtari, our guest. My wife is a creative director in advertising, has been uh, working from company to company, working on some of the biggest brands in the world like, um, you know, Samsung and Target and uh, you name it, Starbucks, et cetera, and, but never our own thing. So we always had this aspiration of how do we create something that we could be personally proud of, something that we could maybe start from the grassroots and, and maybe our kids could be proud of it too. And, and so we had those conversations and then, you know, you inevitably go, well, hold on. Well, what's important to us? And obviously our kids are important. And then sure. this beautiful coastline, we're in Big Sur on a cliff edge in you know, Big Sur at a place called <laughs> McQuay Falls. Right. I mean, it, it is stunning. If you've yeah. never seen it, by the way, just just oh, it's quick a beautiful Google place. Search. It's a beautiful yeah. place. And we we see this little whale on its migration, and um, you know, the kids are very excited to see the whale from the cliff edge, and like we can see it. I'm like, I know. <laughs> um, but then we walked away from that vacation, going, 
where is the Californian Distilled Spirits Company? Why, why don't we have a Golden State Distillery? Mm-hmm. Where's our, you know, we produce some of the best wine in the world. And right. 50 years ago, arguably, we didn't even have a wine scene. So then I have a medical physics degree and knowing what distillation is, all it is is a separation of alcohol and water. And I just couldn't understand why we weren't even distilling our, our wine. And distilled wine, by the way, for, for your listeners that don't know, all that is is brandy. That's that's what we – we and, and call it cognac would be a, a certain sure. barrel that we use in a, in a region. So there's – it just seemed to us weird that we didn't have at least brandy, but that's really where it all started. And, uh, and I can get into why gin and why the gray whale because – why? In fact, you want me to just get right into it? Why, why not? Because I, my first thing was when I tasted your gin, I was taken by it, sincerely. Thank um, you. I, it, was, it was like nothing I'd had, ever had before, and I'm hoping all the listeners will try it, of course. But it was really something. And then I, my next thought was, as I looked you up online, I thought, why gin? Right. Well, good, good question. Look, if you're going to make um, one spirit of California, mm-hmm. just one. I couldn't in all rightness go with anything other than gin because all gin is, is vodka with flavor. Correct. And th- that flavor comes from something called botanicals or things that are grown. So the wonderful thing about gin, um, and, and by the way, whenever I walk down a liquor aisle, mm-hmm. I, I, it's weird. I, I, I don't know why I do this, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm a freak this way. But <laughs> when I walk down a liquor aisle, I will see the beautiful grapes. Uh, I'll see all the red wines and the, and the whites. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and I just, I tend to see grapes when I see the wine. Okay. I don't, I, I, I think about where they come from. And I, I look at the beer aisle and I see, you know, barley all over the place, mm-hmm. malted barley <laughs> right. and some hops. And then I go down the actual spirits aisle. And, and of course you're seeing the brandy stuff, which is all again from grapes, but gin is your is your greenhouse. It's that botanical, beautiful explosion of everything you ever wanted to put in an alcohol. And that's all gin is. So for me, it was um, the one spirit that we could actually go and pick from the entire coast of California and create a gin that was all of California and not just one region. I like that you say it's the greenhouse. That is really a a great visual. That is a great visual of uh, of what gin is. I feel like a lot of um, chefs tend to gravitate to gin because they understand the botanical nature of what gin is. And for me and Jan, when we first came up with this, we wanted to celebrate this beautiful creature, this gray whale that that migrates from Baja to the Arctic and back again. Sure. It is the longest known migration to mankind. And we thought if there is a way to celebrate this beautiful creature by giving back to ocean conservation and actively protecting those beautiful gray whales, which we do, by the way, with our partnership with Oceana and 1% for the Planet, right? Uh, which are on the back of the bottle. Um, and by the way, for your, for your listeners that are going, what does this bottle look like? It's a beautiful, <laughs> it's a beautiful blue bottle with a, a white whale tail on the front of it. And um, Mark, I don't know if you have the bottle. It's sitting right in oh, front of me right now. Did you notice the Californian coast or the Pacific coastline right in the middle of that whale tail? Let me look. You know, I'll be honest with you. I hadn't noticed it that way. There's an Easter egg right there. There See, a is. Lot of people, a lot of people that look at this bottle will go, oh, my gosh, it's gorgeous. It's got the whale tail it on is. it. It's that beautiful blue color. It's clean looking. Oh, I, I get people tell me that it, it looks very refreshing. And then when we point out that coastline, they, they get it. They start to go, oh, my gosh, those little dots along the coastline where you mm-hmm. get botanicals. It, okay. it, it genuinely is. They're all listed on the front. You'll see right. the 
berries are from juniper. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the <laughs> juniper berries are from Big Sur. Sure. Um, and, and depending on which bottle you have, the limes are either from Baja or Temecula. Which one do you have? Either one. Let's see. The limes are from Baja on this one. Okay. So you have one of our very early batches. Um, we changed our, our um, sourcing of those um, limes. We, we, had, we outgrew the, the little um, orchard down in Baja. Okay. It, it, they just couldn't supply us enough limes. So we now get them from an organic farm down in, uh, in Temecula. Temecula. Huh? I like that area. Right. This says batch number 010. Oh, okay. So you got batch 10. Okay. We're, we're currently shipping batch 15. Okay. And, uh, it's you know it's it's a fun ride when you when you see the the iteration of the bottles as well there's sure. there's just very very slight differences because we we occasionally have to change where our botanicals are from open field radio like share subscribe so here you go ecoswing from gowan usa is an omri approved botanical fungicide created using proprietary plant extracts gotta love it ecoswing is labeled for use on many different crops to control powdery mildew botrytis monolinea alternate area and several other diseases and it's a global leader in fungicidal control of several key pathogens ecoswing makes a valuable addition to your integrated pest management program add another mode of action to your disease control defense and combat possible resistance from overuse of other actives ecoswing always read and follow label directions from gowan company open field radio well get, getting back to this journey and each one of those botanicals that are in there you, you'll see this juniper berries um there's citrus and limes, fir trees, sea kelp, mint, and almonds. That's what goes into making this gin. And those two botanicals I think that really stand out are the sea kelp and the almonds. And for me, the, the, the citrus component on this gin allows that sweetness right off the bat that is unlike any other gin you've had. If you go back into the history of gin, gin gin's a two, three, four hundred year old product. It, it originated in uh, the Netherlands, in Holland. Um, it was called Geneva. It was um, basically a malted spirit uh, or a malt wine that they masked the, the terrible flavor by adding juniper berries to it, and 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 it made it palatable. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the British aristocracy kind of loved this, and they they started um, drinking it by the masses. But um, but think about this: this is three four hundred years ago. So mm -hmm. the only botanicals you could get were dried. You couldn't get no, fresh sense. citrus. You're right. So. The difference now with a, a new London Dry gin, London Dry basically just means all the flavor comes from one distillation. It, it's not a compounded adding flavors after the fact. This is all just, we essentially get a, a tea bag full of our botanicals and we distill. We okay. turn it into a vapor and then back into a liquid. And that's where all of this flavor comes from. But when we tried dried citrus and fresh citrus in the, in the development process. We did 152 recipes, by the way, to get to this, <laughs> this gin that you're drinking. I mean, we had some close calls. We had some good ones, but, um, but this one just really works because it's so balanced. Um, when you smell it right off the bat, you get a lot of citrus. Uh, on, on taste, there is um, a lot of sweetness, and that's partly to do with the mint from Santa Cruz that we get from uh, a small organic farm up in Pescadero and um, the kombu sea kelp. Kombu, K-O-M-B-U, is uh, a wild foraged uh, sea kelp that we, my wife and I, and occasionally the kids, will get in the water and, uh, and, and hand forage this beautiful sea vegetable that kind of moves in the tidal waters. So here's what I found out on kombu. Yep, it's a kelp, and it's sold dried, pickled, 
or dried shredded. Used extensively in Japanese cuisine. You can also find it in recipes from China, Greece, and Iceland. Been around for 1,500 years. Who knew? In fact, if you go to Grey Whale Gin, uh, you follow us on Instagram, Grey with an A, you'll see my wife and I picking this um, kombu. But if you can imagine um, these long, thin fingers, if you like, that are about three or four feet long, they're, they're black and they move back and forth in the tidal pools. They're really long and skinny. And, and there's probably about anywhere between five and eight fingers to this beautiful plant. We always cut just four or five of them. We, we make sure to leave at least one finger intact so that the plant doesn't die. And it's used a lot in Japanese cuisine for um, a ramen or the, the base ingredient of a miso soup. So it has that earthy umami sure. flavor profile. And when we distilled this, we, we didn't just distill kombu. We picked nori. Nori is what you wrap sushi in. Right. We picked um, sea palm as well. Okay. Sea palm is, um, if you imagine, about the size of your forearm. And then this beautiful little kind of looks like a palm tree, a mini palm tree. Uh, that, you know, about the size of your forearm, like uh -huh. I said, but it, it's very, very salinic. Um, too much salt for us when we distilled it. And the nori was really bland, but the kombu, the kombu had this earthy, warming kind of Moorish component. Moorish meaning you just wanted to drink more of it. It was, <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I like the word, I like the it. word. <laughs> <laughs> but but what a fabulous kind of combination of um, uh, botanicals because the, the kombu gives it that earthiness. The citrus gives it the, the tip on the t tip of your tongue that, that gets very excited when, when you, you, you know, if you've ever eaten mm -hmm. a sour patch, that's the, right. it's kind of the part of the tongue that I get excited about. And the juniper berries, um, they're, they're called juniperus californica. Now they are a, a genus that is native to California. Uh, you, you can find it up into Oregon, but usually it's just uh, juniperus californica based in, in and around the Californian um, higher elevations. So we, we actually find ours in Big Sur at, at the heights, but I'm, I'm really sad to say that with all these fires that we've had, a lot of our juniper has kind of gone away over there. So we're, we're, we're now trying to find new locations. So we found some up in the Tahoe region um, uh, near the Nevada border. But those, um, those juniperus californica are abundant. Um, we wild forage them. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of these things all over the place. Sure. Yeah, very common. I guess the, the only other botanical that I've not really touched on is the almonds. And... Um, you know, coming from a culinary background, the first thing any chef does with any dish they make is usually put fat in a pan. So if you're Italian, it's olive oil you put in the pan. If you're if you're French, it's butter. Well, for us, uh, almonds are our fat component. So when you taste this gin, you don't know why, but there's some sort of viscosity there. There's a, a creaminess. There's a mouthfeel to this gin that is not like your usual bitey gin that you get from typical London dries. And when you drink it, the almonds tend to linger. They um, they coat the throat and they they just have this really pleasing aftertaste. So for us, that almond component was a crucial component, and uh, and I think it works in harmony with all the other botanicals. When it came to the recipe side of this, there's a lot of options, and at the same time, there's an expectation out of gin that it, you know, kind of be a certain way, so to speak. Yeah. Where did the recipe start and how did you even tackle that task? Great, great question. So uh, the whales um, are from Baja, Mexico, uh, which are beautiful UNESCO protected sites. And then they hug the coast. They go all the way to the Arctic, like I said. So if I ask you, where are you? And you are, you ask me where I'm from. I'm, I'm originally from England. Um, 
where you're from matters and, and you kind of carry that with you the rest of your life. It doesn't matter where you've lived. And, and I've lived on four continents, um, gone all over the world. But where I'm from is usually the, the question that most people kind of want to know. And what's your heritage? They'll, they'll ask me that as well occasionally. But um, where you're from really matters. So by that token, I, I spend an awful lot of time in the, in the lab trying to figure out, well, what's the taste of Baja? So I, I kind of went down, if I asked you to what that flavor profile is, you'd probably go down the same route I did, which is you would start um, distilling flavor profiles that are found in tacos, um, maybe some citrus, maybe some jalapenos. So we did that. We did all of that. We, we distilled um, Baja Pasilla chilies, habaneros, um, jalapenos, and, uh, and cumin, and more of the spices that you would play with in a taco. And then after a while of doing this, I mean, we're, like I said, it took us 152 recipes. We, we basically individually distilled as many botanicals as we thought could work and going all the way up the coastline as well. So things like um, Santa Monica sage, for example, it grows in the Santa Monica mountains. It's wild. It's beautiful. That sage component, we thought, wow, that could, that could really add a component here. And, and we played with it a lot, but it's, it's, it's so um, it's so polarizing that when when you when you start putting botanicals together, it's not about the individual botanical anymore. It's now about how harmonious can you get them all to play together. Is it a team and player exactly? Exactly. So lavender was one that my wife really loved and wanted in this um, botanical mix. So we we played with lavender, but lavender is such a potent botanical. It's it's kind of an interesting one. It's a beautiful botanical, but you need to go very, very high in alcohol to be able to mask the the um, the such strong polarizing floral nature of lavender. So as much as we wanted it to be on the bottle and in this gin, it just didn't work. Yeah, and I would think I would think lavender would be equally as polarizing in some ways. That's the same. Very much so. Very much so. And same thing with cilantro. You know, um, that was oh, another yes. botanical from uh, the Baja region that we thought. This should be in this gin, but it it um, oddly enough, the most polarizing botanical we ever played with was cilantro. Because <laughs> people imagine. either love it or hate exactly. it. Exactly, that is exactly right. I don't know anybody in between on cilantro. Yeah. Do you, li- do you like it? <laughs> I, I actually love it. I will eat eat it by the mouth. Really? The and, see, and see, I don't care for it. If I order, I live right here. I'm I'm five minutes from the border here at my house. And there you go. If it, I, I always order it, please, no cilantro, please, you know, but <laughs> what do you do, right? Some folks love it, though, but I can yeah. see equally as polarizing, right? Yeah, so we, we got to the point where we found um, a quiet confidence with just going with six simple botanicals. You know, if we, if we go any higher than that, you start to kind of muddle the flavor profiles. You can, your tongue really has a bitter, salty, sweet, earthy umami, and that's it. There's, there's not much more flavor components that you can bring to the table. So the fact that, you know, certain, certain gins have 50 botanicals in it, right. well, that's great. I, I think it's unnecessary, and, um, and sometimes, sometimes it really, really works. Um, but for us, we wanted you to be able to taste your way along the Pacific. So that's why they're listed on the front of the bottle. And, you know, kind of want you to sit back and think about that beautiful journey and uh, the 12,000 mile migration that it goes on and, and taste your way up and down the Pacific and drink this over an ice cube. Of course, it makes an amazing cocktail, but 
It does. But, it, I can attest to that. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Yeah, um, what I, in all the ingredients? I get the almond, and I love the explanation of it. That you know, on the, from the culinary perspective, you always start with a fat. The juniper, of course. The limes, totally get it. Uh, the fur, the mint. I think the kombu to me is the one I had to. I was like, am I reading that right? At the same time, it plays in. I get the the California coastline, but I don't know that I would have dug that far in the flavor profile. That's really cool. Thank you, thank you. Well, look, I think you know if you're going to call yourself the gray whale, Jen, and celebrate this creature, mm-hmm. it made sense to us to get in the water, and we played with. Um, uh, salt water, actual ocean water. We were distilling it and playing with it and saying, could we use this as our, um, as our water component? And so we, we, there was an awful lot of thought went into this, including, um, sea salt. We thought, is there a way to put some sea salt into this? So rather than do that, we, we went to the next best thing, which for us was the, the sea kelp. And, um, and if you do, if you do happen to have any Japanese friends and they try this, there, there tends to be an, an automatic, um, like, oh, I know kombu. Of course, I grew up eating it. Oh, sure. And, sure. But for us in, in America, uh, if you don't happen to be from Asian descent, you, you might not know that flavor profile. But, but trust me, when you do try it on its own, you'll go, oh, yeah, I, I, I really love that. <laughs> so, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for I'm gonna I'm gonna search for it if if you know what I'm saying a little a little yeah. further in the flavor profile when I have it next, which will be in just a minute, by the way, because I have some. <laughs> I, I want you that. to walk. I want want you to walk me through it here in a minute. Sure, be happy to. So, if you're out in the wilderness hunting for ingredients for your next adult beverage, I think we can technically call that foraging. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, foraging or to forage. Uh-huh. Definition is to search widely for food or provisions. But did you know you could do it professionally? We we have um professional forager now uh, oh, cool. who who helps us get, you know, he's it's weird to think that people go out and professionally forage, but but they sure. do. They 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 go out and get morel mushrooms. They'll um, you know, Thomas Keller at the French laundry needs certain <laughs> things that he just can't sure. grow. And and if you want them wild. Those wild ones are the best. Sorry to interrupt, but Marsh mentioned Thomas Keller and French Laundry. It's a great restaurant. It's also an awesome cookbook. In Open Field Radio Episode 4, I spoke with Michael Rollman, author of the book Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America, who helped write the French Laundry cookbook. Pretty cool. Gotta love it when the guests, the episodes, and the dots all connect. Now let's get back to foraging. So we found... um, couple of remarkable people up in uh, the San Francisco, kind of out in the Big Sur region. And, and now I've found another one up in, um, up in the Tahoe region that will go out and help us get those juniper berries. The, the, the kombu sea kelp, we, we do use um, a little company every now and again uh, called Rising Tides uh, Seaweed. Uh, but we, we also go out and do it ourselves whenever we can. And, and the kombu, you need a license to go out and just get this um, beautiful sea vegetable. So I see you on your site, the picture of you on the site, holding, yeah. holding up a batch of it there. And that was my question. Do you have to have a license? Or you, can you just go get this stuff or is this something? Uh, no, you, you do need a license. Yeah. Um, and you can't take more than uh, a certain number of pounds per sure. day, which, um, and that's, that's part of the reason that we only cut a few of those, um, those runs of the, of the beautiful plant so that it doesn't die. But I have noticed um, going out a few times where people have been cutting it right at the bottom at the root. And and that's just going to kill the, 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 
the beautiful plant and and it's not going to sustain. We're, we're trying to tell as many people as we can about this. Like, hey, look, kombu's wonderful. You can buy it at Whole Foods or wherever else. Uh, you have right. a nice grocery store, but but let's uh, let's make sure we we keep this plant going. And uh, and the, is the, and the juniper is the same way. Is there a license needed for the juniper, or is that free range, so to speak? <laughs> it, it kind of is, as long as you as long as you have legal access to the um, to the property. And um, the properties we use are private properties that we've already spoken to. Oh, cool. The uh, the owners and and they're they're actually quite thankful for us to come in and do that. <laughs> so really? They, yeah. They, they well they. They go look these these things these little berries they they yeah. either land on decks and and right. stain the decks and they're not happy yeah. about it no, you're so they're right. like seriously you'll come here and spend five hours picking all these wonderful come on have at it guys <laughs> <laughs> so the more uh, the merrier exactly so it's great you find all your botanicals everything you need you foraged you've moved on you're ready but now you need a distillery what do you do do you buy one do you build one? Do you, I don't know, can you rent one? So my wife and I, you know, when we had that conversation on the cliff edges of Big Sur, we, we realized very quickly why there weren't a lot of distilleries in America. And uh, <laughs> it starts back in the 1930s when prohibition uh, happened. We essentially banned alcohol in the country and uh, we put some pretty incredible um, laws, incredible meaning archaic laws in space, in the, in in, in our legislation back mm-hmm. in the back in the 1930s to um, to repeal this prohibition. So basically, I mean, not to bore everybody, but you've got a three tiered system now. If you produce product, if you are a, a maker, you have to by law sell everything to a a middleman called a wholesaler, okay. and then that middleman has to by law sell it to a retail outlet, and that retail outlet is allowed to sell it to you, the end user, and it's going to be taxed on each run of the ladder. And if I happen to be the, the producer, I am not allowed to have a foot, uh, in other words, an ownership stake in a, a distributorship, yeah, a wholesaler, sure. or a retail outlet. So we have this distinct three-tiered system, which um, just kind of makes makes for really interesting and archaic reasons why it's very, very difficult to start your own distillery. In other words, you need you need to buy your own still before you can sell any alcohol. So just to put this into perspective, a commercial still can cost you eight, nine hundred thousand dollars, and then you need a license um, and your facility. And a facility needs to go into a industrial estate, so so to speak. Okay. Um, so all in, you're looking at about one point five million just to start a distillery before wow. you've sold anything. Right. My wow. wife and I sold our house to do this. We did not have <laughs> we did not have 1.5 million to start our own distillery. Sure. And then and then we had this conversation with each other going, this is bananas. Like, look, mm-hmm. if we were if we were going to create a bread, would we go out and buy a bread factory before we sold a loaf? That would be ridiculous. <laughs> People would think we were insane. So then then we went on a mission. We kind of went and met with over 50 distilleries all over the world. I, I was learning how to distill um, uh, everywhere. But we met with a, a, an amazing distillery up in um, Sonoma in right. Sebastopol, and we just really hit it off. And, and what was really cool about that particular distillery, and I didn't know this at the time, but the founders of that distillery had spent time on um, the Rainbow Warrior, which is uh, an anti-whaling vessel. And oh, that's okay. actually how they met. Okay. And so what was what gave me goosebumps when we met with these wonderful folks, they, they kind of looked at each other and looked at me and went, we've never co-packed or allowed anybody to use our facility before. 
Um, but there's something about this that just feels right. So we're, I'm, I'm really thrilled to say that we ended up partnering with them. They, um, they allow us to use their facility and uh, we create gray whale gin at their facility. And um, my company, Golden State Distillery, is housed at their distillery, but it, is, it belongs to them. We just pay them a, a fee to be able to use that space. At some point, we may have our own distillery, but we really do enjoy this partnership and relationship with them. And, and you know, from a sustainability standpoint, do we need another distillery? Um, so that, that also mm, played into right. our, I guess, our footprint and being smaller. That's cool. Sonoma is north of San Francisco, Sonoma County. Correct, yes. And you are in L.A. Yep. Uh, that's a haul. That's a long ways apart. Well, it's, it, what's, what's really cool during non-COVID times, it's a 45-minute sure. flight. Uh, um, true. You're right. LAX from my house is 10 minutes away. Okay. And uh, I, can, I can often be at the distillery by 10 a.m. and be home by 6 p.m. That's handy. And <laughs> it's with two flights yeah. if I need to do it. So usually sure. what happens is during a distillation, I will fly up and spend a week up there, um, do, the, do all the distillations and come back down. And uh, so I, I miss the kiddos just for a week, but it's, sure. uh, it's time well spent. Well, it's a beautiful product. Speaking of the product, I have a bottle sitting right here. And I wonder if it would be possible if you'd walk me through. I'm going to pour this. I wonder if you'd walk me through just the experience. Of course. Um, course. I've never done this before. My wife and I have done it many times, but not with the creator. And this would be really, really cool if you don't mind. Oh, I love that. The bottle is beautiful. You're right. If you're going to go look for this, you can't miss it. I have had no problems finding it. Oh, that's great. Once you see it, the bottle is blue or turquoise blue or uh, it's a beautiful blue. It's like no other bottle on the shelf. Gray whale gin in white with a whale tail on there that is uh, uh, very striking. And you really can't miss it. The cork, which is real, by the way. Yeah, it is. It and that was for a reason. It says Golden, Golden State Distillery on top. Very nice. Well, yeah, let's let's pop it open. Right, so, so mine is open. I love that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to, because I don't have a glass in front of me, I'm just going to drink it out of the bottle. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Pour a little tipple here. <laughs> I'm coming to your house, man. <laughs> <laughs> so right off the bat, how to, how to taste and stir it. I always open my mouth slightly um, uh -huh. and take some, put the put the glass, if it's a Glencairn glass, which is a beautiful mm -hmm. flute type glass, mm -hmm. just put it slightly under the chin and take some nice deep breaths through your nose and, and your mouth. Why do we do that? In the spirits world, um, we don't swirl a spirit because if we swirl a spirit, those ethanol vapors will come up uh, and, and hit you in the nose and kind of burn your mucous membranes. And, and oddly enough, you can't really smell it the way you would a, a wine. But I like to just take some nice deep in inhalations. And what I absolutely get is a lot of citrus. I do pick right. up the juniper. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of that Pacific Northwest that... Um, that piney Pacific Northwest. I, I do pick up some of the the fir trees there. Uh, and then on the taste, um, usually what, what I will do is um, take a little sip, uh, coat the entire tongue, and I wait a few seconds. So um, what, what always happens as soon as you put anything in your mouth, you, you produce saliva. Your saliva will water down this, um, this gin. It's 43% alcohol, so much, much higher than a wine. So by holding it on the tongue for a little bit and in the mouth and swirl it around, what you're going to do is water it down, and you'll be able to taste those nuances in a spirit. So once you coat the tongue, I want you to consciously think about, is it hitting the tip of my tongue, the sides, the back? back is yeah. it pleasing? Is it hot? Hot meaning too much alcohol? Is it 
smooth, um, easy to drink. And then after it goes down, does the does the spirit go up into the nose? Does it warm my throat? Do I am I still tasting this? And does it develop any further? And that's called the finish. So anyway, I'm gonna drink a little. You'll probably hear me go quiet for a second. That's fine. And, and let's talk about it. Cheers. Well, uh, cheers to you. This is completely cool. It has a very long finish, which I love. I'm a huge fan of Campari, okay? Oh, yeah. Me too. And when I first drank Campari, uh, I was like, what the heck is this? It kind of smacks you upside the head with the bitterness. But oh yeah, I re- I, in, in trying to discover it, I read a thing that said Campari is a story. It has a, you know, it has a shocking beginning. And it turns into a beautiful, beautiful finish and a long story that goes with it. And I've used that approach with so many other things. But using that analogy with this, yes, the, the, the story is long. The story is wide in my mouth. It, it's, it's, um, it's warm, but not too warm. It's no warmer than anything else I would expect, I think. And right mm-hmm. now, it seems to be living flavor-wise or sensation-wise, it seems to be living in the middle of my tongue. I don't know why. I would I would agree with that, and that that actually is kind of a balanced thing, because okay. it's not it's not normal for um, a spirit to hit you right in the middle of the tongue. Right. The the reason it's doing that is because you're actually experiencing it on the tip of the tongue. That's where the usually the um, the citrus will will hit you there. The sides tend to be more of um, the kombu sea kelp, and right at the back of the throat mm-hmm. is the almondy yeah, backbone. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and for I'm getting the exact same sensation you're getting, and that. I'm getting a, a almost a salivating kind yep. of sensation afterwards, yep. and that salivation, that that's that's basically your your, your body saying, "Ooh, give me some more." Yeah, of that. I like this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I like this. That's exactly right. <laughs> this is this is beautiful, and I say that as a gin fan, it really is beautiful. And things are hyped, and you read or see or whatever the next great thing, and yet this is so in the line of something so classic, and yet. I don't know what why I, f- I find it so distinctively yours, but it boy it is. I think I think you're probably picking up on um, on some of the London Dry components. It, it's, and I love uh, it's a London a tough, Dry. I love it. Yeah, and, and look if you're if you're a Campari guy, you probably love Negronis. I do. And, and yours makes a great that, Negroni. Yours makes a great thank Negroni. You. <laughs> thank you. Well, a Negroni is um, equal parts Campari, sweet vermouth, and gin. That's the traditional way to make it, and, mm-hmm. and garnished with a, a an orange peel. Uh, a classic, wonderful cocktail that's stirred. Um, and for your listeners that don't know, uh, you, you shake cocktails with citrus. You stir cocktails that don't have citrus. Mm-hmm. End, of, end of story. So James Bond kind of got it wrong, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> doesn't seem to be any worse for wear. <laughs> no, he's 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 uh, he's pretty classic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think you're you're picking up on some of the the more traditional components of of how to make a gin, and um, and we we've stayed true to uh, what a gin is, which should be predominant flavor profile is juniper. Ninety percent of our uh, botanical components uh, are juniper berries, and only ten percent of them are the other um, six botanicals that go into making this gin. We we do use one other botanical called orris root. And Oris is a binding agent of sorts. It um, it kind of calms everything down. It, it it unifies and attenuates the the gin. Attenuation basically is a over time the the molecules come together and they they settle into a more stable state um, after distillation, which is a pretty volatile thing that they have to go through. I had to look it up. Oris root. O R R I S root. 
also known as the Queen Elizabeth root. Once important in Western herbal medicine, it's now mostly used as a fixative and base note in perfume, also in potpourri, okay? But most commonly used in gin. Yeah, orris root or angelica is used in, um, I'd say, 100% of gins. I can't actually say that categorically, but I, I don't know of another gin that does not use orris or angelica. Okay. It, um, it sort of acts like the United Nations, uh, you know, they, they just calm everybody down and just make sure everybody gets along. <laughs> that's, that's sort of what they do. <laughs> I like that. That's fun. What's your, what's your favorite way to drink gray whale? Is it straight or uh, a cocktail uh, or how do you like it? I love a, um, I love a three to one martini, um, okay. with uh, Dolan Blanc. Oh, yeah. um, Dolan Blanc tends to have a sweeter component to mm-hmm. it. It's still dry, but it's, it's got a little, um, a little sweetness that I, I just think really accentuates our, our gin. Um, and three to one, meaning three parts gin to one part uh, vermouth. Um, I think it just allows the botanicals to still come through. Uh, and look, if, if I don't have Dolan Blanc, I'll be happy to just drink Grey Whale over ice. It, yeah. it just has that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, really my is. wife's favorite way to drink it is something a cocktail that we coined called the Whale Hello There. The whale hello there is <laughs> like it. Is it's a very simple cocktail. Sure. It's, got, it, it's got citrus and sweetness, and that's yeah. basically it. So how you make it is um, two parts gin. So put put a good slug of gin in the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, get half an ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of lime juice, and half an ounce of agave syrup or nectar. Oh, okay. All right. Shaken over ice. It will be your new summertime favorite. It's got a it's got almost a margarita component to it sure. because of the, the the citrus and the agave. But yeah. It, it With that ratio, the two ounces of gray whale, half an ounce of lemon, half an ounce of lime, half an ounce of agave, you really do get that um, botanical nature of the gin coming through. And it's if, if you like margaritas, you are going to love this one because you could. You <laughs> Who doesn't you love a margarita? Actually, exactly. Who doesn't? <laughs> I like it. I've had it. Um, my favorite gin cocktail, if you will, is a gimlet. And um, – I've made it that way with fresh lime and and simple syrup and your gin works beautifully. Oh, yeah. Works yeah, absolutely. you can't go wrong. No, it's it's amazing. Over the summer, now here in Arizona, it's a hundred and Lord knows what in the summertime. Right. So I have <laughs> taken to making fresh uh, Tom Collins. Oh yeah. Which is not far off, similar. Um, no, and, I love that. But that was the Saturday, you know, noon out in the backyard watching the little ones in the pool kind of idea. That was perfect. And your gin oh, was yeah. so complimentary that way. And I'm I, I'm like you. I like it by itself as well. It's a beautiful product. Really, is a great product. Thank you so much. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm getting to chat about um, something I'm so proud of, and then yeah, having the the reasons for doing this in the first place as to why why we partnered with Oceana and uh, and the fact that we made legislative change in the state of California. My my kids, by the way, um, are, are big into ocean conservation. They they okay. love whales and um and and in fact all sea creature animals in general but the fact that we were able to lobby our former governor jerry brown mm-hmm. and ban drift gillnet fishing drift gillnet fishing by the way is that crazy practice of um two mile long nets that have um you know 200 yards deep and they catch anything they're trying to catch um swordfish but the the cool thing about uh, what we did, uh, and by the way, California was the only state in the entire United States that still allowed this crazy practice, and we finally banned it. Um, so you know, for a, for a little company started on a cliff edge in Big Sur, and we're just very proud of the fact that we were able to 
actually, actually really make a difference for those whales. Um, talk, talk to me about you, this idea came to you in 2016. Right. Here we are at 2000, where are we? 2020. Yeah. How long did it take from conceptive idea to batch one? Two years, approximately. Wow. Yeah, two years and a um, few hundred thousand dollars of R&D. Um, it's, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about having um, a wife that uh, is such a crazy, cool, great designer that um, she she would not um, allow us to uh, launch without having the best possible bottle. And by that token, I felt an enormous amount of pressure to, to have the best possible liquid. So we, we kind of divide our, our focuses here. I, I, we call it our superpowers. I leaned into my superpower, which is the flavor, and Jan <laughs> leaned into hers, which is the branding and marketing. So that the fact that the bottle is so beautiful right. is a real testament to Jan. And, um, and we've never really changed it. I mean, we've changed, like I said, the... Uh, Baja limes to Temecula limes, but that was a sourcing thing. We've never really changed the aesthetic of the bottle. It's it's just perfect as is. So it's beautiful. Um, it's absolutely. But, but yeah, beautiful. that that takes an awful lot of time. <laughs> Two years or ten years, I never would have come up with a gin. Let's just be honest. But with Marsh's background in entertainment and Chan's background in marketing and advertising, odds are it worked in their favor when it came to launching a brand new gin. A little bit, you know, we like we leaned into things that most distilleries would not have done. So for example, if you go to our website, the first thing you see is a video playing. That was something we knew how to do very easily, very quickly. And we did it for approximately $6,000. And and if you know production, that's probably your budget for coffee in the morning on right. one day shoot. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bananas that we were able to do a six day shoot for six grand. Um, in and around California and get those epic shots and, and edit it and music and everything else. So that's, that's where you kind of differentiate yourself. And, and we knew marketing better than 99.9% of our fellow distillers. So, but they know how to make the product. So, but I had to teach myself that. And that's, that's where we kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. Um, once you, once you know how to make a good product, it looks good. It has a great story. It has a give back component. All of those great things combined to just kind of create something that I think resonates. And there's a reason that we're kind of accelerating at such a pace across this country. You're getting a good response all the way around? Yeah. Oddly enough, um, Michigan, we are killing it in Michigan. I don't know why we have so many <laughs> why Michigan? so many accounts in Michigan, but, but that, that's a, just a testament of what people want they they want something new american they want they want something that tastes great and and looks cool i guess well and you got and, it all it all because it, right. it is great it is great. <laughs> more of open field radio after this look it's this simple agitate expose and improve control with captiva prime insecticide captiva prime is omri approved and compatible for use with or around beneficial insects that's a good thing captiva prime has the unique ability to drive the insects and the mites out of hiding for more contact with treated surfaces increasing the exposure time of other contact insecticides in your tank mix and it's labeled for use on outdoor and indoor crops. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Marsh Mokhtari. Are you finding Are you finding you've got customers that love it? And that's the important part. Do the critics love it? Do the critics love it too? They do. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of love. I mean, gosh, we've we had a double gold from um, 
from the San Diego Spirits Competition, a, um, a platinum from the SIP Awards, uh, a silver from the San Francisco International Spirits Awards, which is kind of the Oscars of, of spirits awards. And, you know, to come out of the, the gate and just get a boatload of medals, we, we've stopped um, submitting to these things because we're, we're like, okay, we've got a few medals. We don't need any more. It's, it's great. It's <laughs> nice to have them. But what's the point? I, I think the more the, where we really want to put our efforts and focus is about just getting people to know the story and give gin a try. You know, it's funny. I, I'll do, um, I still love doing in-store tastings, but unfortunately through COVID, you can't do those. But uh, the amount of times, Mark, that I, I say to people, oh, I've got a wonderful craft gin from California. Would you like to try it? And they go, oh, gin, no, no. And they'll shake their head. And then I go, well, I also have this juniper vodka if you'd like to try that. And they go, oh, <laughs> juniper vodka sounds amazing. <laughs> and they will That's stop so and they'll great. try the... And and when they try it, they go, wait, why does it say gin on the bottle? I go, because that's what gin is, gin of vodka. And they go, you're kidding me. I like gin. Everybody thinks gin tastes like medicine. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's because, you know, like I said before, a lot of the botanicals were dried and, and old school, and it had a different different kind of flavor profile. I think you're right. I think you're right. Where does it go from here? Uh, we're, we're going all over the country. Um, I hate to even say thanks to COVID, but um, I'm, I'll say it this one time. Thanks to COVID, we sure. were able to launch many states from the comfort of our kitchen um, by speaking to distributors. Um, and we're, we're now in 26 states. Uh, we were only in three states at the beginning of COVID. And, wow. Um, That's quite a bit of growth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been, it's been incredible. We're getting a lot of the same kind of reception that you've had for this, Jen. You know, folks are folks are tired of the old school gins and, and a lot of them come from outside of America, you know, right. Scottish gins like mm-hmm. Hendrix are, are wonderful. The, the botanist is a wonderful expression of I gin. One of those right um, now. Yeah, of course. Beef eaters. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's Legendary. old school and, and outstanding. If you're going to have a London dry, I, I still <laughs> love Plymouth gins as well. So, Oh yes. You know, there's so many good ones, but, where's the next great American gin? And, you know, there are a few out there that I I really enjoy every now and again, but I think simply put, California in a glass is kind of fun and why not? And I love that you've brought it back to that many times. That is really important to you. The journey, the whale's journey of 12,000 miles. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. That, That is important to you. That initial trip to Big Sur is important to you in the production of this product. The products that are in it, whether they are farmed or sourced or wherever they come from are important to you. I love that. And it all shows when you drink it, you go, yep, you're exactly right. Yeah. You know, you know I think it, it goes right back to that moment on the cliff edge. What are we, what are we trying to do here? Why are we, why would we want to make a booze company for our kids? I mean, <laughs> at some point they're going to thank us, I'm sure. But right now they're, they're just really, um, they're really enamored. You know, we, we took them down to, uh, there is a place called San Ignacio Bay where they have the babies, um, where, where the whales have their babies. You can mm-hmm. fly down to a place called Loreto. Yes. Uh, it's mid, midway down the Baja Peninsula. And it's about a three-hour drive north to get to San Ignacio Bay or Laguna de San Ignacio is what they call it. Sure. And we took the kids there. And it is the most magical experience because when you go and take um, take a little boat out, you, you have to go with one of three different producer, uh, providers of these um, 
these little tours. Now, if you've ever been on a whale watching tour in the past, it's usually like, oh, whale's coming up. It's 700 yards off the port. <laughs> and, and you're like, where? Squinting? Well, in, in Laguna, San Ignacio, you basically go out into the middle of this lagoon. You turn your engine off and wait a few minutes. And then the whales come to you. They come right to the boat. And I, I'm not kidding. They will, they will do something called spy hopping, which um, is a vertical um, coming out of the water, super slow, right by the boat. And I'm oh talking, my. you could reach your hand out and touch the whale. Uh, and we have done many times, but they will, <laughs> they'll come up vertically. And it's usually the kids that will do this, the baby whales, because they're, they're looking at you going, what are you? You're, you're on top of the water. This is sure, weird. Sure. And they're, they're just really curious. And my kids burst into tears when they saw these oh. whales, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm crying like a baby as well. And it's just a magical experience. So think about that maybe at some point. I'd be happy to give you more pointers on where to go and where to stay. <laughs> I may connect with you again. That is a very, very cool thing. How do people find you? Graywhalegin.com, gray with an A. Um, on all social media, we're Graywhalegin. Um, so at Graywhalegin on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, Whatever is your jam, we are we're probably there. And you're very and yeah, active, you, by the way. You're very active on it. I've I've commented, and you guys have responded quite quickly to different things long before this interview. I, I'd love to say that was all me, but it's really ninety percent of it is my wife uh, does all of that. She's <laughs> she's incredible at it. Um, but yeah, uh, and if anybody wants to pick up a bottle, there's there's many um, online, especially during COVID, that you can get it through Wine.com. I think Drizzly. Um, Drizzly, uh, reserve, I, reserve bar is another one that you can get it through. And now the question I've really been waiting the entire interview to ask it on your, on your site, there's an awesome blue VW van, VW yeah. bus. Does that exist? Oh yeah. It's my day-to-day driver. I drive it every day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So I was parked outside my house right now. What year? <laughs> 71. There you go. Uh, it is, it's on. a wonderful vehicle. You know, it, it has a universal effect of just making everybody smile. I, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, uh, we'll, we'll try and make it PG. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pulled up at a, at a traffic light in Beverly Hills, and, and I'm in the VW bus. And this, this beautiful, elegant lady in a, in a black convertible Mercedes, probably mm-hmm. in her 70s, pulls right. up next to me at the traffic light. She looks over at the car and smiles. I smile back at her and kind of give her a nod. Because this this bus, this VW bus, just kind of has this calming effect on everybody. Sure. And then just as the lights changed, she said, oh, excuse me. And I looked over and, yeah. And she went, I lost my virginity in one of those. And then drove <laughs> off. And I went, oh. <laughs> just, I didn't know what to say at that point. It was just, wow. <laughs> exactly. But I guess, I guess it brings joy to people in many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Very PG. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.